Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. So last week, we kicked off a series called On Repeat, and in this series, we are looking at different messages that Jesus preached uh, on repeat, that it wasn't just one time that he preached, and we talked about the importance of in Scripture when things are repeated, that it's there to draw attention or emphasis, you know, you just even think about a basic everyday conversation, when you repeat something, you are really trying to draw attention to that, that's why in advertising and stuff, they repeat the phone number or the website or the time and date, you know, over and over because whatever's most important, they really want to make sure that you're getting it. And in the Word of God, there's certain things that are, are that way. And last week we looked at the, the passage that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added. And we talked about uh, seeking God's kingdom first and what it means and, and, and all of those things. This week we're going to talk about a practical way to seek God's kingdom. And we're going to talk about uh, prayer this, uh, this morning and, so, and what Jesus taught on prayer. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Let me ask this question real quick. How many of you did your homework that I gave you last week? Did anybody actually do it? We got like two of y'all. The rest of y'all flunked the class, huh? I'll, I'll give you another chance. I, I gave you guys an assignment that I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 8. It shouldn't take all that long to, to read through that, but I believe there's so many amazing messages and stuff that Jesus preached in this sermon. And a lot of what we're going to go over in this series, you see that this sermon that he preached it in other locations and other times and stuff as well. So these are very important kingdom things. And so I want you to go and read that this week, maybe even read through it a couple times, just allow God to speak to you uh, through some of those things, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, let me stop here real quick and, and tell you what Jesus is not saying in this moment. This is not saying that if you have sinned and you have made a mistake and, and you try to pray that now you're a hypocrite. How many of you have ever made a mistake, you've fallen short of something, you've lost your temper, you've said things, you've looked at something you weren't supposed to, you drank something you weren't supposed to, you did some type of sin, and then the very next thing, the last thing you feel like you want to do is spend time in prayer because you don't want to be a hypocrite, right? Anybody ever done that before? Or all y'all perfect? None of y'all ever made mistakes, huh? That's one of the first things because the enemy doesn't want us to, to spend time in God in prayer. He doesn't want us to be in communication. So he will try to play that, that if you go to God in pray, prayer after you've sinned or you've fallen short or you've made mistakes, that you're a hypocrite. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's going to talk about who the people who are hypocritical are as he goes on. And it goes on and says, for they love to stand in and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And so you're seeing here, it's the people who just do things in order for other people to see them. 
They don't do it out of a love for God. They don't do it out of a a service and an honor to God. They do it because they want people's attention. Jesus talked about this in another place where you had the the widow who brought the two coins and you had all the rich people who were coming with all their money and, and, and drawing attention to what they were giving. And and Jesus said, when, you look, when I look at this, I see the woman who gave the two coins is given more than all the others. And so you, you see that God looks at things differently. He looks upon the heart and why we do things. He goes on and says, truly I say to you that those have already received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray uh, to your Father who is in heaven. And, and, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up prayers uh, of empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, a couple more things that I want to just kind of lay a foundation and make sure that you get here because I think there's been some people who have used these passages for different things that I think actually hinder your walk with God. The first one is this. It is that uh, this doesn't mean that you don't come together and pray together out loud. You know, when we prayed just a few minutes ago for many people, when I ask you, come on, with your words, begin to pray. With your mouth, begin to thank God. That's different for you because many people in the church world today grow up and they're taught that, like, you don't, you don't want to draw attention to yourself and pray and, and, and all of that. You got to pray quietly, you know, just somber. And that's why so many people, they, they just kind of throw their thoughts toward God. And they, they don't even really pray out loud. It's like if we, we get a prayer circle right now, the majority of people are probably going to be like. <laughs> that type of thing versus lifting up their voice. He is not saying that when you pray, you have to pray in silence all the time. He is saying that when you pray, you're not praying to draw attention to yourself. So if you're in here and we're praying and all of a sudden you just shout out above everybody else because you want people to pray, pay attention to you, that's what he's talking about. And he's saying, you, if you're that kind of, go, go pray in secret somewhere. Let God reward you. Because if you look through scripture, you will see time and time again where it says to lift up your voice to God, cry out to God, shout unto God, all these things. So you can't take one passage and say that prayer from now on has to be very somber and just quiet. Because God wants to hear from you. Not to mention the fact that when you speak your prayers, that it ministers to people that are around you. Like, I know the other day we were on a, a Zoom call and, and we were talking with this couple and as we just began to pray over them, they just had their hands out and they just were receiving the words and we're praying scripture and we're praying God's will and just speaking over them and just begin to minister to them. I, I think I told this service a couple weeks ago when we were on Skid Row that uh, there was this guy that we were praying with and, and uh, I mean, he, when, when we met him, he pops out of his tent. He, there's alcohol, all this stuff in his tent. He's uh, just about every other word out of his mouth was a curse word. He's got tattoos and track marks and all these different things up and down his arms and everything. But as I'm praying for him, he, he was afraid that somebody was going to shoot him. He got a gun pulled on him and, and he was asking for us to pray for his safety. And, and I just began to pray, God, I just pray that as he draws near to you, that the peace of God will pass all understanding, guard his heart. As I prayed that, he was just like, oh. And he just sat back 
on the sidewalk and just lean back. And, and God, I pray that as you draw to him, I pray that he will find you as, as your Lord and Savior. You send his, your Holy Spirit, and that when you send your spirit into his life, that you're going to bring love and joy and peace. And he's just like, oh. And then he told me once I got done, he was like, oh, my God. When you said that word, peace, man, I just, I just felt if I had just grabbed his hands and been like, He wouldn't have been ministered to the way that he was. So this isn't saying that don't pray in public. Wow, this is this is saying don't do it for attention of other people. The other thing is, it's not saying that you go and pray this specific prayer. That this isn't the, like the exact words. This isn't a magical prayer because even later when we look at Jesus is going to teach us in another place, he changes the words a little bit. He doesn't include everything that he that he did. So this isn't a format, it's a, it's a structure of how to pray. And so we're going to look at, at some of those things. And, and, and he had just confronted them and said, don't, don't be like the Gentiles who just repeat a bunch of worthless words over and over. Because the Gentiles would have fake gods and they had certain prayers that they prayed to certain gods. And, that, and, and so he's like, don't, don't, don't act like that, don't, don't be like them. But instead he talks many times about going to your father there. And stuff. And in verse 9, we're going to pick up his prayer. And he says, pray then like this. Say like this. Again, that means not pray this. Pray like this. This is a shell. This is, a, this is kind of a structure of how you can lead your, your, your prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's where we kind of stop with the prayer. But Jesus continues the teaching on prayer right after this. And I think these verses are very important. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so I think it's an important thing, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But we're going to move into the second place that he preaches this sermon. It's in Luke chapter 11. And when you look at this, like I said last week, there are many places where you have, uh, you know, Mark and, and John telling the same story or, or, you know, different writers telling the same story and they got just a different perspective. But this is a completely different place because of the scenario is different. In Matthew chapter 6, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is all part of a big sermon that Jesus preaches. In Luke chapter 11... He is actually answering his disciples' question. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, not Jesus was preaching in a certain place. Again, just showing this is a different time, different location. So he's preaching, but he's, he's preaching this on repeat. And specifically, he's doing it to his disciples. Now, as believers, we are not called to be a part of the crowd. Let me say that again because most of y'all didn't catch that. As believers, we are not called just to be a part of the crowd. We are called to be what? Thank you, Pastor Mark and Melody. <laughs> disciples. The Great Commission was going to the world, make disciples, not converts, not draw a crowd, make disciples. And so every believer 
should be a disciple. And when he is teaching specifically to his disciples, we need to make sure that we're leaning in and listening to those things as well. He goes on, and his disciples said, teach us how to pray the way that John taught his disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, you should pray, you should say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we uh, forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Okay? So you see the wording and some of the things are a little bit different here, but overall the same format and everything that is there. So we're going to look at this. What are the things that he preaches on repeat? The first one is this, is that when we approach God, we need to approach him as Father. Now, that isn't necessarily hidden in the words there as one of the things he specifically says to pray. But in both places, he said, he start out saying, our father or father. Why is he doing that? Because he wants us to understand the relationship that God desires for us. There's too many people in the church world today that still have a servant mentality when it comes to God or just a friend of God when it comes to God versus a son when it comes to God or a daughter when it comes to their relationship with God. And as long as you see yourself as a servant, you're not, you're not gonna wanna bother the master. You're not gonna wanna uh, bother him with little things. There's gonna be so many things in your life that you just deal with because you don't feel that your master cares enough about you because you're nothing but a servant. As a friend, you may talk to him about a little bit more things, but there's still a barrier there because as a friend, it's still not the intimacy and the closeness that God desires for us to have in a father-son relationship. As a, as a father is, is supposed to provide for their sons and stuff, a, a, a friend doesn't necessarily have to provide for their friends. And so there'll even be certain things that you don't even ask God for, because you just see him as a friend, because you wouldn't go ask your friend for those things. You see what I'm saying? But he said you need to come as, as a son to his father. Paul talks about this in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the spirit of adoption as sons. Not as servants, not as friends. Receive the spirit of adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is, is intimate. It shows an intimate word. It's more like daddy. You know, it, it, anybody can kind of be a father. And, and, and if my kids just referred to me as father, then I kind of think my kids are probably mad at me. If they just come up to me and say, Father. <laughs> Any of your kids done that before? Like, hey. That's their mother. What do you need? Father. You know they're not happy with you right now. But when they really want something, how do your kids approach you? Daddy. What's bad is Melody taught them to bat their eyes at me and stuff. Like as little kids, they're like, Daddy. Will you, would you please... Or mommy, 
How many, the, the daddy or the mommy shows a greater intimacy than the father, mother. And he says that God put the spirit of his son in our hearts where we're not just crying out even just father. And it seems like there's a distance. But where we cry out daddy. And there's an intimacy that's there. And then he even says, so you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a servant. You are a son. And if you are a son, he didn't even stop there. He didn't just want you to be a son who didn't think that they had an inheritance. He wanted you to understand that if you are a son, that means that you have an inheritance from God. That you are an heir from God. That there is something that you have access to. He wrote it this way to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8. He said, for those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we did not receive again the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Notice that both times he confronts the, the, the mentality. He says, you, you are either going to come as a slave or servant or you're going to come as a son. But God didn't come for you to come and continually come to God as a servant. God came and put the Spirit of God in you so that you would come to him as a son. And, and not to fall back into the fear. But, but, but instead you've received the spirit of adoption by sons whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father. Again, showing that intimacy. And he goes on and says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then the very fact that us being sons and daughters of God means that we have access to him and that we have an inheritance from him. And that we then are heirs of God. And then he even says we are, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Other translations put it, you are co-heirs or you are joint heirs. Which means that you have equal access the same access that Jesus had to the Father, every one of you as being a son or daughter of God, you have that access to the Father. So what did Jesus do with his access? And Jesus fed the poor and the multitudes. He prayed over and blessed food and it multiplied, and he was able to, to minister to one time 5,000 people. In another place, he ministered to 4,000 people. Some people think those are two different, or the same story told from different perspectives, but there's too many different places and things that are in it. There's one time that's 5,000 and 12 basketfuls left over. The other time it's 4,000 and seven basketfuls left over. It's completely different scenarios and stuff. So more than once, the heart of God was moved to the point where Jesus called upon his father to help me be able to feed the poor. What else did he do? When he saw someone that was sick, he healed them. When he saw someone that was demon-possessed, he set them free. When he came upon a funeral and he heard the voice of God tell him to do it, he raised the dead. And here's the thing. The same spirit that was in Christ Jesus, Paul just said, that's the spirit that God sends to be with inside of us. And later, I think it's in Romans, it's either 8 or 12. He puts it this way. The spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. 
Another question that I have to ask is, how many of you are living a life that shows that you believe that you have the same access to God as Jesus had? Because if we were living in that lifestyle, then when somebody was sick around us, we wouldn't be like, here, let me drive you to the doctor, let me do this. We would lay hands on them and we begin to pray and believe for God to heal them. But there's so many people that when they even come up and they're like, hey, I'm sick, I'm struggling with things, they're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. But then if you're really honest, how many of you have forgotten to pray for somebody that you said you were going to pray for? If we believed that the power of God was inside of us to heal them in that moment, we would stop and pray for them in that moment. To where we're not going to forget about them. Why don't we do it? Because we're afraid that we're just a servant. And the servant doesn't have that access to the Father. And so we don't feel like God would hear our prayers. Maybe if we can bring them to Pastor Brandon or Pastor Quentin or, or, or something. Then maybe God would hear their prayer. But you have to understand you have the same spirit of God inside of you that dwells inside of me. The same access that I have to the throne to pray for God to move and bring healing. Or to pray for God to supply for us to be able to feed the hungry and the poor in the state. To, to pray for God to work miracles miracles and stuff through our church, you have the same access to the Father for you to do that in your own life. But many of us, we're still struggling in the servant fear mentality versus the son and heir mentality. And that's why he starts out the prayer. The first way you approach your Father is not with almighty, oh, magnificent God that is upon the throne. He is all those things. But first, he wanted you to know he's your daddy. He's your father. And you can come to him as a father. And then he gets to the second part where worship is a part of your prayer. That's why he shifts and he says, after that, he says, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed can be translated holy. It means it's being set apart. You think about, you see uh, in, in heaven how in Isaiah chapter 6, you see a picture of heaven. When Isaiah saw, he said he saw angels that were circling around the throne day and night. And they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and, he's, and they're just singing this over and over and over. So here he says, you have the access to come to him as a father. But can I tell you something? especially in our day today, sometimes our kids come to their father with a lot of disrespect and dishonor. And so he says, you approach him as father. He is your dad. He cares about you. He wants the things. He wants to move in your life. But remember that he is holy and he is set apart and he is a mighty God. That he is an all-powerful God. That he is the God who is able to heal. He is the God who is able to provide. He is the God that is able to bring peace. He is the God that provides our righteousness. He is the God that is our defense and our banner. Whatever it is that you need in God, he is that God. And you can approach him as father, but make sure that you don't get so familiar with him that you treat him like an equal. 
He is hallowed. He is holy. He is set apart. And there is no little G God that is on this earth that can even come close to who he is. And the reason why we need to understand that is because there's so many of us that believe that when we look at the world and it's dark, that somehow the enemy is winning and God is losing. And we almost have this picture of this chess match in between God and the enemy. And God makes a move. And then the devil makes a move. And then God is like, oh, goodness, Jesus, what do we do now? Oh, the council, what do we do now? Angels, come on, give me some advice. He just moved here. I don't, I don't know how to do. I don't, I don't know how to respond. We may not say that, but a lot of times that's the way that we live. Like these things just catch God off surprise, and he doesn't know that they're coming, and he, wasn't, he didn't already have an answer for it, just waiting for us to invite him into that area. He is holy. He is set apart. There's no God like him. And there's nothing this world has to offer that is greater than him. There is nothing the enemy can do. When he tried to raise up and say, well, I'm I'm just going to be like God. God's like, no, you're not. And then all the the angels that tried to raise up too, cast them down. He didn't say there was a struggle and a war and a battle and everything. He cast them down. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I mean, lightning comes fast. Like, it, it, wasn't, even a, it wasn't even a fight. It was like, oh, you're going to raise up? You're gone. That's how powerful our God is. Can we start acting like that? Can we start praying like that? Can we start believing like that? And if we do, we need to make sure that we're believing for the right things, and that's what he tells us in Verse in the, the third thing is this, is that we should ask for God's kingdom to come now. There's too many of us in the church today that we live in the when we all get to heaven phase. Come on, how many of y'all grew up singing that song? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that would be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And there's so many Christians that are just limping their way through life. Oh, God, please come back quickly. The devil's so mean, and he just keeps on beating me up, and he just keeps taking things, and I'm just so hurt. And I just, God, you got to come back quick. Oh, please come back quick. And while we should desire that God comes back quick, we should realize that the way that he's going to come back quick is Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached in all the nations, and then the end will come. So as long as we're hiding in our building saying, oh, God, please, it's dark outside. Please, God, you got to do something. We're not going to see God come back quickly. Because God's God like, I've already done what I've got to do. I sent my son to the cross. I've done my part. I've made everything available to you. I have given you the Holy Spirit. I have given you the word of God. I have spoken to you and called you. I've given you instructions. You've heard sermon after sermon after sermon about witnessing, about telling people, about serving in the community, about loving your neighbor, about all of those things. Everything that I need to do has already been done. You're waiting on me to do something, and I'm waiting on you to move with what I've already given you. And to trust me and to believe and to move into what I've called you to do. 
and be who I've called you to be. We gotta realize that we can be the very, the thing that we're praying for and asking God to do the most. We could be the very answer to our own prayer. If we just begin to understand he is our father. Hallowed is his name. He is an almighty, all-powerful God who gives us access to his throne as a son has access to his father's refrigerator. Most parents don't put a padlock on their refrigerator and make their kids beg for food. But many times that's the way that we treat our relationship with God. As if I beg enough and plead enough and do enough that maybe I'll earn his favor and then maybe he'll provide for me. Maybe he will at least give me the very basics that I need. Versus understanding God wants to do far more than the basics. He's just looking for somebody who will believe who he is and will approach him as a father and will worship him as the almighty God and who will believe that God can send his kingdom now. When Jesus would come to the earth and he would teach, he would, when he, Jesus was on earth and, and teaching, he would say, the kingdom of God has come among you. What was he saying? The presence of God has shown up on the scene. And when the presence of God showed up, the sick were healed, the demon-possessed were set free, the, the lost were restored, and, and families were, the dead were raised, all of these different things. And then he tells you, you need to pray that my kingdom will come. And then we read this verse last week in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He says, fear not, for your father is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His spirit is in us. His presence is in us. He wants the kingdom of God to flow through our life. But he's not going to force himself upon us. We have to be willing participants to be people who seek first the kingdom of God. Let it be in me, but let it get through me and minister to the people that are around me. When I show up in the room, let me be able to say the kingdom of God is here. Not because I think of anything of myself, but because I understand who I am and I understand whose I am. I understand that I'm a son or a daughter of the most high God. But I also understand that that God is an almighty, all-powerful God that is just waiting to move in my life if I'll invite him in. And it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom here in West Virginia as it is in heaven. But that other part he says there is, he says, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And this is the part where most people, the reason why they don't walk in a kingdom mentality is because his will coming means your will has to go. And so they want the kingdom power and they want the kingdom benefits without the submission to the kingdom, the king's will. And until you truly are engaged in a seek first the kingdom of God, a not my will but your will be done, you won't see the fullness of the kingdom benefits in your life. But all it takes is you changing. That's the whole thing is he's, with this prayer is he's trying to align our attention to the things that are important. He wants us to know that 
that our relationship with him as father is important. He wants us to know that the holiness of God and the, the magnitude and the mightiness and, and everything of God, that that's important in our life. He wants us to know that, that it's important that, that, that we have the daily bread in our life and, and that we recognize him, that, that we ask for his kingdom to be present in our life. And then the last thing that he wants us to know is this, is that forgiveness is a very important part to prayer. He wants us to know that we've got to have forgiveness in our life. Because in both of these places, he said that, Lord, forgive me as I forgive my debtors. Lord, I want you to forgive me as I forgive my debtors. And in the Greek, that, that word as is it's a comparison word. It literally could be translated to the degree that I'm willing to forgive others, forgive me. And that's why Jesus went over in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Pull that back up. Go back to verse 14 or so there. Go back one more, the second half of that. It says, if you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, say but. That's a big word. Because that word but means that the promise that was before is conditional on this. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you're not willing to forgive others, then God's not gonna extend his forgiveness to you. And some people that offends them and they're mad right now. But I didn't say it, I just read it. I just read what Jesus said. I'm, I'm just the messenger. And there's so many people that the difference and the distance and the things that they feel in their life with God and not seeing the miracles performed and not seeing God answer as many prayers and things in their life really is on the other side of them being willing to completely forgive so that they can walk in that. But he even went farther earlier in his sermon and basically put that we gotta be proactive when it comes to forgiveness because there's gonna be sometimes when you're gonna offend somebody in your life, when you're gonna do something wrong, and hurt someone's feelings. And in Matthew 5, 23, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. See, too many times when we know somebody has something against us, the first thing we do is begin to make excuses as to why that doesn't apply to us. Oh, they're just being weak. They need to just get over it. That's ridiculous. I can't believe that offended them. I can't believe they got mad about that. that they, they just need to grow up. They just need to mature a little bit. And we'll make every excuse and we'll put that right back on them even though we were guilty of something that hurt their feelings or sinned against them in some way. And he told them, if you realize you're at the gift presenting your altar and you realize that your brother has something against you, go first be reconciled to your brother and then come make your gift. There's a lot of people in the church 
they want to spend that time at the altar and they want to spend that time worshiping. They want to spend all that time. And, and it's almost like it's holier than thou mentality. And they don't care who they've hurt along the way to get there. And Jesus is like, all that singing and all that stuff, that's, that's wonderful, that's great. But I need you to go first be reconciled there. And see, here's the thing. If we are actively praying, God, forgive those people who've sinned against me. And, 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 and we're also actively uh, aware of people that we may have sinned against. Then our relationships are going to be whole and healed. And God will be able to move. As a husband and wife, this applies to you. That when it, when it comes to it, and, and Paul, or Peter wrote about this in First uh, Peter chapter 3. He said, in the same way, men, you must give honor to your wives. Now, let me hit on something right here, because I know Ephesians 5 says, the man is the head of the house and, and all of those things. And here uh, it says the same thing, that women are supposed to submit to their husbands and, and everything. But he didn't, he didn't stop there. He went on. In Ephesians, he said, you, husbands, you need to love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, even be willing to lay down your life for them. In other words, you sow first. You set the example first. You sacrifice first. You protect. You think about the way that Jesus loves us and forgives us and pursues us. And that's the way I want you to pursue your relationship with your wives. Here, you know, men are like, well, if my wife will respect me, then I'll love her and I'll do that. Well, is that the way that Jesus treats us? That if we respect him, then he'll love us? If we respect him and honor him and do everything right, then he'll go to the cross and forgive us? And not, that, that's not. And here he said, men, you need to give honor to your wife. You need to treat them in an understanding way as you live together. For they are, even though they're weaker than you, she is an equal partner. Other translations say co-heir, joint heir. Same thing that it says with us to God as far as equal and partnership is the same verbiage and stuff that's here in this. You're an equal partner in God's gift of a new life. Treat her as you should or your prayers will be hindered. Now I want you to look at this. Men, there's never a place where it says, women, if you don't respect your husband, their prayer, your prayers are gonna be hindered. God's not going to listen to you. Why did God point men out this in this way? Because men are supposed to be the leaders. Men are supposed to be, they, even though they're, they're, they're head, it doesn't mean that they're, they're better. Because here he says you're equal. You think about it, the, the price for a woman to be saved or a wife to be saved and the price for a man to be saved are the same. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. When it comes to value, you're equal. Male, female, all of that is equal because price that Jesus paid is the same for us. However, as men being the head of something, what it does mean is you're more responsible and you're the one that God is looking at. As the head of iHeart Church, if our church goes in a wrong direction, then I'm going to be held way more responsible than anybody else because God placed me in this position. I used to tell people all the time, like, I, I loved being under Pastor Mark and serving under Pastor Mark. Because when I just served there and I was a volunteer at, there in the church and, and everything, that and if there was something that was going on in the church and it was, uh, you know, crazy or, or needed some attention or something, I could be like, hey, Pastor Mark, this is going on. There you go. What you want me to do, bud? Like, I can just walk away all the weight. The pressure is right there on his shoulders and not right here. 
Q's over there amen at me right now. He's like, I, I like where I am right now too, huh? But I believe this even goes in the leaders that as a pastor, if I don't treat the flock right, there's so many pastors that try to get fat off the sheep and beat the sheep and all those things like that. And the sheep are there to serve them and all that stuff. If I don't do that right, guess what? God ain't gonna answer my prayers. My prayers will be hindered. Why? Because I'm not treating others right. We are called to live in unity with one another. We are called to live in peace with one another. Sometimes you're the person who offends and you need to forgive even if they don't forgive. Sometimes, or you need, to, you need to go seek forgiveness even if you don't think you need to. And sometimes you're the person who uh, needs forgiveness from, from God and whatever it is, but forgiveness is crucial to seeing our prayers answered. Releasing it or receiving it and seeking it. But Romans 12 says, if, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. There are some people who just don't want peace. But however, it's not our responsibility to stop pursuing peace. Because there are relationships in my life that I never thought would be restored that God has restored. And I see God do things in and everything that I would have just written off that time and time again, you make an effort, you get kicked down. You make an effort, you get kicked down. You make an effort, you get kicked down. But over the course of time, God won them over. And God restored the relationship. And there are going to be seasons where sometimes people don't want peace. But it's still up to us to try to pursue it. As a disciple, we can't hold grudges. As a disciple, we have to be aware if we've wounded or hurt someone else. And we do what's necessary to make sure forgiveness is in that relationship and that relationship is whole and reconciled. And when we do, God hears those prayers and God shows his favor and God moves in our lives. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.